over Christmas, I preached some sermons about the Lord Jesus Christ. And one sermon was on Christ's humanity and the other one was on his deity. And one of the doctrines of scripture that I really love a lot is the humanity of Christ. And I think that one of the reasons I like to dwell on the humanity of Christ is because uh, often we feel a little bit embarrassed about the humanity of Christ and we're so quick to rush to the deity of Christ and we're like, you know, he's fully man and he's fully God. And it seems it's uncomfortable for us to take some time to think of the fact that he is fully man. And we look at him and we say, no, that's not all he is. That's not all he is. He's fully God as well. Yes, he's fully God, but he's fully man. So I thought maybe just for a few moments today, we could just pause on the humanity of Christ, on his full humanity, see something of the glory of Christ in his full humanity and see how that really can bring joy to us as we struggle through this world in our failures and in our weaknesses. Maybe we can ask, ask God to help us before we start this. Lord, we're so grateful again for the joy we have of meeting together as men and women and children who have been saved by the blood of Christ. And Lord, that was human blood. It was the blood of a man. It was the blood of the God-man, but a man. And Lord, as we struggle through this world, it really helps us, Lord, to understand something of the humanity of Christ. Uh, Jesus walked on his own feet in this world. Uh, Jesus got hungry and he got tired and he got thirsty and he got hot and he got weary. And we think of the Lord Jesus Christ just at some times uh, just struggling to find a place to sleep and a place to rest away from the crowds. And Lord, as we just think of something of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that humanity as beautiful and glorious, a glorious humanity, not just a humanity, but a beautiful and glorious humanity. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to find joy in the fact that that beautiful and glorious humanity was for us, it was for, for his people, those whom he lived for and died for and purchased for himself. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to just stop for a moment and to see these beautiful scenes in front of us. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to lift our hearts in worship, that we would be amazed by you. We pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. So the text that I have before me is Luke chapter 1. Of course, Christmas just passed the other day, and I'm still, still enjoying Christmas, you know, because we never, never get tired of Jesus at Christmas, do we? But we can read this any time. We can read Luke at any time of the year. But maybe I could just read a few verses here from Luke chapter 1. And I'll start from verse 26 and I'll go down to verse um, 33. Just verses 26 to 33 in Luke chapter 1. Reading from the NIV, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was great, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great 
and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And you say to yourself, what an amazing moment in the life of Mary as she comes to this point in her life where the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to her and begins to speak to her in such a beautiful way. Obviously, this is six months after her cousin Mary, uh, Elizabeth, I mean, has uh, become pregnant with John the Baptist. And this is amazing for her that Elizabeth has become pregnant. And now God sends Gabriel to come and speak to Mary. This tiny little town, Nazareth, you remember Jesus when he calls Philip, you know, he says, Nazareth, I mean, what kind of a town is this? You know, some, some messed up little town like you might find in the Karoo when you're driving through there, this tiny little town, you know, it looks like it's been deserted. Nobody even knows its name. And they say, oh, what, what good could possibly come from there? But God sends Gabriel to Nazareth to speak to Mary. What a wonderful moment this is as, as the tension in this text begins to develop. And the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary. He doesn't just appear to her, begins to speak to her, and he says something that takes Mary by surprise. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Automatically, before we even go anywhere else in this text, you've got to say to yourself, who, me? I mean, why would an angel from heaven come to me and say, you who are highly favored? I mean, if I would look behind me and see, you know, surely there's somebody highly favored standing behind me and I just, I just mistook the angel's, you know, gaze. Yeah, could he be speaking to me? Surely Mary is thinking this. And it's interesting that when he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. We notice that Mary is greatly troubled. She's in a state of shock. And you want to say, well, of course, if an angel from heaven appears to me, I would be, I would be greatly troubled as well. But isn't it remarkable that as we look at these words that the angel speaks, as we look at the words that Luke writes, we notice that the text clearly shows that Mary is not greatly troubled by this angel's appearance. She's greatly troubled by something specific, isn't she? She's greatly troubled wondering what kind of greeting this may be. Oh no, an angel from the Lord has come to me and is speaking words to me and it says here that her distress is the result of the angel's words. Not his glorious appearance, not the fact that this angel comes from heaven, but she's greatly troubled by the angel's words. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, why would we why would be greatly troubled at the words when he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You know, some of us would say, wow, that's amazing. That's great. I'm so grateful the Lord is with me. But, I mean, put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. Maybe 15 years old at that stage. And until now, as it was in the culture, you know, women really didn't measure up too much. You know, they weren't really respected or valued in the culture. And she's just literally a nobody. Just, just a young girl, just a teenage girl in the crowd. She's a nobody. And suddenly the angel from the Lord comes to her and says, 
greetings, you who are highly favored. It's like, how can I? I'm a young virgin girl, if maybe 15 years old, and nobody, a faceless nobody in the crowd. But the angel comes to me personally. And, and if the angel came to you or me, let's say I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and the angel comes to me and says, Alan, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I would honestly, I'd be thinking he'd mistaken me with somebody else because I do you realize who I am? How, this is the question, how can it be that I personally can find favor with God in the face of my failures? I'm not, my life doesn't make me look like a highly favored person. I've got lists and lists and lists of ways in which I failed the people around me. I know how I, I, I fail to show love to people that I should show love to. I know how many times I've said to people, you know what, I, I will, I'll help you with this thing. And then I don't pitch because I got busy and I forgot. I know how cold my love for my God is when it should be fire, it should be red hot. I know all of the intentions I have, you know, great and wonderful intentions to do things, but they just never amount to anything. I know my procrastination. I know my laziness. I know my greed. I know my unattractive anger. I know the lusts in my heart. How could it possibly be that an angel from the Lord could come to somebody as fallen as this, as ordinary as this, as run of the mill as this, and say, you are, single you out and say, you are highly favored. You must have the wrong person, Gabriel. It's obvious you've got the wrong person. I'm nobody. I'm ordinary. I'm weak. I'm a failure. She's distressed at the angel's words. What he said to her. I'm hoping that's, I'm hoping it's clear what a moment this is for Mary as this angel comes to speak to her. But in contrast, Gabriel says, but she's so distressed at these words. But Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Honestly, he's speaking to her by name. He must have the right Mary. I mean, it's possible it could be another Mary, but it's starting to look certain that he actually does mean me. And what, what a wonderful moment as she begins to realize that even in my own weakness and my failings, the angel is actually talking to me. It's actually true. I have, as it were, just won the lottery. It's actually true. These are the numbers. It's me. It's my name. My daughters sometimes joke about, let's say they had a prize giving or something, and they call their name out. They, they're listening so carefully because they're thinking, you know, maybe they called out my name and I didn't hear it. Or maybe they're going to call my name out and it's not going to be clear and I'm going to be just sitting there thinking they called someone else and then I'll look like a fool, you know, and I'll have to jump up. Oh, that's me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we have these weird little weaknesses, but you can be sure as Mary is dealing with a situation, she's thinking all these kinds of things. But the angel comes back to her and assures her, Mary, it is you. You personally, Mary, have found favor with God. It's a, it's a present passive imperative that the angel gives Gabriel. I mean, the angel Gabriel gives to Mary. Present passive imperative. It's a command. Mary, do not be afraid. Do not continue to be in a state of fear. Don't keep being afraid. I can see you're afraid, Mary. 
I can see there are all kinds of fears that maybe this is not going to be true. Maybe God hasn't showed favor on me. Maybe there is a mistake. Mary, just stop being in a state. Do not continue to be in the state of fear that you are in right now. And isn't it amazing for you and I how difficult it is for us to come to the point with all of our weaknesses and failings where we can look at God and say, God, thank you that I don't have to be in the state of fear anymore. I can honestly trust you with all of my weaknesses. I can be fully known by God and I can be fully loved by God. And God, you can see everything in me and I can abandon myself to you. I can open myself up to you. I can just, I can just do away with the idea that there can be some sort of weakness and failure and mess in my life that is hidden from you. I can open myself up completely and you love me in spite of all of that. Isn't it hard how difficult it is for us to do that? Sometimes when I share the gospel with people, like this text we were looking at in the little class here just now, that Romans 3.21, sometimes when I share that verse with people and they're looking at me and I'm thinking, this person's not getting this or they're not believing what I'm saying, what the text is saying. And then they say to me, but hold on. And I'm thinking, okay, what objection's going to come up now? And they say, it's too much. And when someone says to me, it's too much, then I know they've got the text. It's, how can it be? How can it be that I can find favor with God? It's too much. It's not because God's favor is not amazing enough. It's because I'm so fallen. How can it be that God can pour his favor out on me like that? And now obviously in this text, we've got the angel's words. He said, you who are highly favored and Mary must stop being in a state of fear because God's favor is upon her. Just imagine the next morning when Mary wakes up. You're like when she's going about her business, drawing water, maybe, you know, walking here and there, whatever she's doing in her daily, washing clothes. And she's thinking about the day before. What actually happened? An angel from heaven came and spoke to me. I mean, imagine, imagine any of you going to one of your friends and say, I never believe what happened yesterday. An angel came out of heaven and spoke to me and said, I, not, any, just not anyone else, me, I am highly favored. I have favor with God. I mean, automatically, when someone says an angel came out of heaven, you want to, ah, come on, man. And when the angel says you, it sounds like a cult. It sounds like the beginning of some kind of cult, doesn't it? You know, like Joseph Smith. Big glasses, you know, reading the golden tablets. You know what I mean, eh? It sounds kind of cultish. But, but this Mary, imagine her going about her business and saying maybe to Joseph, this angel came out of heaven and said to me, you highly favored. And she's like, yo, I don't know, man. This, yeah, is my mind playing tricks on me? Did this actually happen yesterday? It sounds so bizarre, but strangely comforting. But she's a bit concerned about it. Now, look how kind the angel is to Mary. She's afraid. And the angel says to her, and see, in verse 31, you will become Literally in the Greek, you will become pregnant in your womb. I mean, how specific is that? Here's a confirmation. It's a confirmation of the fact that God's favor is upon you, Mary. You are going to become pregnant in your womb and you will conceive and you will bear a son. Imagine, imagine Mary, she's waiting. Did this really happen? 
was this real? You know, did I just eat something that made me hallucinate? Was there some like mushroom in my meal or something that made me go on a trip? And then suddenly, it doesn't take long, four or five weeks, and she realizes, oh, that was real, man. I'm pregnant. Here's, I'm a virgin. I've never had sexual relations with a man, but I'm pregnant. What a confirmation. And suddenly she knows that the angel Gabriel did actually come from heaven and he did speak to her and he did say, you are highly favored and it is true and here's proof of it, I'm pregnant. What a joy. Imagine a, the, the joy for her and it's, it's a causal effect, this. She, the pregnancy is the result of the fact that she's found favor with God. It's a causal connection there. And you imagine her sitting there talking to Joseph and she can't stop smiling because this is, doesn't just mean I'm pregnant. This means I, found, I truly have found favor with God. I truly am a person who stands before God with great joy and great delight. I can't believe it, man. I can't believe it. And I find this so thrilling. I, th I find it so satisfying to see how God so carefully engineered this whole situation with so few words in order to bring maximum joy to this young girl and to give her such confidence that she was the vessel that God had chosen to give birth to the great Messiah. And isn't it wonderful that not only do we see Mary's joy, but we see the true and full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ being born from this young girl who's a faceless, nameless young girl, not some royal personage, just an ordinary young girl giving birth to a son and his name is Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. Beautiful humanity we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 31, he continues in verse 31 to say, uh, not only will you become pregnant, but you will give birth to a son. And this, um, it's, many people have spoken about this and said, imagine the stigma for Mary, you know, a virgin but she's engaged to be married to Joseph. And when she becomes pregnant, of course, everybody's thinking, oh, these guys, they've messed up. You know, they, were, they had this whole show on the outside that they were pure and they were keeping themselves apart from each other, you know, so that when they eventually got married, that they could have a beautiful union. But in this text, it's, it's remarkable in the Greek, there's a phrase that is called a dative of advantage, a dative of advantage. And what it's saying is that she will give birth to a son, meaning that this is Mary. This is going to be a positive thing, you know, to offset all of the scandal. If people are gossiping and talking about you, the, the angel is saying, don't worry. This is going to be a positive thing. This is not going to be a negative scandal. This is going to be a positive thing for you. And, you know, Mary, of course, wants to know about that because that's probably one of the first things she's thinking about. This is like, this is really not going to look good. And when the angel of God says to her, this is going to be a positive, this is going to be advantageous to you, this is not going to be bad or negative, she's already set at ease. And he says to her in verse 31, same text, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Jesus in the Greek, you know, or Yeshua, you know, later form of the Hebrew for, of Joshua, Hebrew form of Joshua, which was a common name among the Jews at the time meaning that another child with the same name is going to be born, just like everybody else. It's like the name Judas. You remember in, 
in uh, Judas's time when Judas Iscariot was on earth and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, there were many people by the name of Judas at that time. But isn't it remarkable that the name of Judas almost disappears off the map after Judas Iscariot? And one of the reasons why Judas, why so many people were called Judas, as you may know, is that in the book of the Maccabees, you know, first and second Maccabees, there's a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus is an absolute hero, man. He rescued the Jews in, the, in his absolutely heroic battles. And he, he did the most remarkable feats. If you read that, the first Maccabees particularly, it's, a, it's an amazing story. I, I've absolutely loved that story. But he was a hero. And you can imagine all these boys for three, four hundred years being called Judas, 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 this great heroic name. And then suddenly a Judas comes along and he betrays the Lord Jesus Christ and suddenly there's no more Judas. But in Jesus' time, remarkably, there's a whole lot of people called Jesus. And now suddenly this Jesus is born. And why don't we call our children Jesus? Yeah, I think let's call him Jesus. I mean, how would you introduce a child like that to your church or your parents? You know, imagine calling your kid, Jesus. Hey, I mean, it just doesn't work. You know, in Judas's case, we don't really use the word Judas, the name Judas because of a negative stigma. But suddenly this date of advantage, suddenly because that name is so revered, because that name is so glorious and so wonderful, we don't even call our children Jesus anymore. He's a great hero, but it's too much to use that name in, in our societies. In all of the other, Daniel, you know, all of the, Moses, I hear all of these, Abraham, Isaac, you know, the, all of the names we hear in our country, but we don't hear people calling their children Jesus. Maybe in other cultures, it's more common. Jesus, you know, but the point is that it's, it's wonderful. It's a positive thing that God is doing for Mary. It's not the scandal that rolls on like Judas Iscariot who messed up the name. Now we don't use the name Jesus because it's, it's so revered and beautiful and, 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 and thrilling, a thrilling name. And Jesus fills the name, I mean, Gabriel fills the name with some highly specific meaning that includes both his deity and his humanity. He says to him, you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? In verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Imagine your child being called the son of the most high. He's the son of Mary. He's the son of, as it was thought, Joseph. But there's such mystery in this fact that this child is going to be known as the son of the most high. I mean, you just look at that and you say, yo, what a privilege, man. What a privilege. A dative of advantage. You know, what a privilege to give birth to the son of the most high who's going to save his people from their sins. What a glorious reality this is. I think maybe just wrapping all these little details up, I could just touch on some of the advantages that Jesus brings in his humanity. And I think these are some of the things that Mary, for the rest of her life, especially as she watched her own son 30 years later being crucified and dying and being buried and then rising from the dead, I think Mary must have been thinking about a lot of these things. 
as Jesus, the risen Christ, explains to her why it was important that that actually had to happen, why this date of, of advantage was hers. That this is a blessing, man, not only for you, but for everybody. The son would obey God as a human being where all other human beings have failed. You think of Mary. She comes to, let's say, 15 years old, and the angel appears to her and he says to her, you're going to, you know, you who are highly favored. She knows that she doesn't deserve that title. She knows she doesn't deserve that honor. But as Jesus is growing in her womb, he's living an absolutely perfect embryonic life. You know, nine months of gestation, not a single sin. I mean, I, I think it's possible for babies to sin in the womb, and definitely they're infected with sin from the womb, aren't they? What David says in uh, Psalm 51.5, eh? you know, conceived in sin. And so even if, even if we disagree on whether a baby can actually sin or not, <laughs> when it's too tight in there, you know, when... When you start getting toward the end, you know, or <laughs> when dad comes and hugs mom, it's, I don't know what it's a knee or an elbow or something. It gets a little aggro. I don't know. Maybe a baby's sinning. Maybe he's not. But definitely, if it's possible to co commit overt sins in the womb, Jesus committed none. And where Mary sinned in the womb, Jesus doesn't sin. And God is looking at that womb, that baby in the womb as living those nine months instead of Mary. Substitute, perfect man, perfect human being, taking the place of Mary's messed up period of gestation. And then as Jesus is born, all of the mess of Jesus, you know, coming out through the birth canal with his nose squashed and his ears pulling. And you can imagine the skull bones, you know, like overlapping to make your head smaller. Imagine gasping for air for the first time. Your lungs have never worked and, and it's all fluid in your airways and you're hungry and you're already tired. You've just been born. It's, it's a traumatic process. Everything's wet and cold and it's noisy. There's air blowing on you. There's people grabbing you, you know, just hands and it's not nice. And it's And where Mary did that, Jesus is, he doesn't sin by getting irritable even in the process of birth. And God looks at that birth of Jesus and says, Mary, I'm giving this to you. It's yours. This is a perfect human birth. I'm giving you a perfect human birth where you may have sinned in your birth. Jesus doesn't sin. He obeys perfectly throughout his childhood years. Jesus does clean up the toys on the floor. As we've said here before, Mary frustrated, Jesus clean up the toys and God listens to man. God listens to a fallen human mother and just simply does what she says without an attitude. Imagine God crawling on the floor in your house. I mean, it's, it's beyond us. And he does it absolutely perfectly. And, and the father looks at the son and says, Oh, that is beautiful, man. It's so beautiful to see my son crawling around as a baby on the floor being instructed by a sinful woman and he just, he has no, he has a perfect attitude, perfect love, perfect submission. Imagine God giving those years of being a baby to Mary and saying, Mary, I see you as perfect, like my son is perfect. I mean, this is so wonderful to see the, the advantage 
the meaningfulness of the humanity of Christ in the Lord Jesus Christ. But going on and on, you know, you can go all through the stages. You can love this in your own devotions. Go through all of the stages of Jesus' life. Every point at which he, he glorified God in his life and saying, he gave that to me. That's mine. That's the whole package of righteousness that God gives to me as a fallen sinner. and becomes mine. I'm highly favored by God. He's given me all of that. But if you go all the way through his death and we see a man dying for men, we see a human being dying for human beings. Jesus doesn't come as this glorious being like some of the heretics have spoken about Christ. You know, that wasn't actually God. You know, it was just sort of something that we saw that looked as if God was hanging on the cross. But no, they try and avoid that. But it was, it was the God man. It's Jesus Christ who is fully man and fully God, hanging and bleeding and dying on the cross. And a human being, a fully human man, dies in the place of a fully human Mary and a fully human Ellen, a perfect substitute, according to Romans, uh, Hebrews 2, 16 and 17. Not only that, but the son would also be the only human being who is qualified to stand in front of, of God on the basis of his own perfect human life. You know, sometimes I ask people, you know, if you want to, if you could stand before God right now, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to stand with your own life and say, God, please take this life and evaluate me on the basis of this? And you put your hands on your hips and you say, yeah, let's see what God says now. You know, I bet she's never seen a life this good. But for me, I'd be a bit afraid to do that because I know my life is messed up. But if you had the choice of taking that perfect life of Jesus and saying, God, please evaluate me on the basis of this, man, I would be smiling the whole time because I will know even God cannot find fault with that human life. It is the life of the God man. And as God examines that life with a fine tooth comb, every tiny little attitude, every tiny motive, every tiny little detail of it, God will say this life has the right as a human being to stand right in front of me and look me in the eye and not blink because we're equals. This is the, a God-like life. Without fault, even God cannot find fault with us. And that's why God looks at that and he says, you, my son, can stand in front of God with an uncovered face, unveiled face. And that's why Mary is so highly privileged. Because God has given that life, that old package that Jesus Christ lived. And he has given that to her so she has the right to stand before God with that life. And God can go through that whole righteousness of Mary's and say, I cannot find a single thing wrong. So the life of my son that I'm looking at, absolutely beautiful. So he stands, he stands on the merits of his own life. And he's the one who can stand between God and men as a perfect, as a perfect go-between, a bridge between human beings and God who have enraged God. What a beautiful moment is being developed here as God speaks to Mary about this wonderful advantage that is going to come about as a result of this moment. Not only that, but the son is a model for God's original plan for human beings to take charge, to rule over the created order, peace. He says to the storm, 
be still. Imagine this whole storm just nods and says, yes, sir. The whole storm just, just stops. And when God gives that perfect life of the Lord Jesus to his people, he's giving that the restoration of the creation mandate for human beings to be able to rule over the created order. Say, wow, God. I mean, I could, uh, I mean, some, some of these guys have tried to calm, you know, calm storms with their words. I'm just trying to remember who it was. Uh, I think it was Kenneth Copeland's wife. It was like in the airplane, that one video clip that goes around on internet and she just spoke to the storm. You know, I'm like, whatever. I've, it's never happened to me, but Jesus speaks and God gives me the advantage. Uh, you know, he treats me as if I'm the kind of person that can speak to a storm like Jesus and it stops. Doesn't mean I can do that, but I'm, I'm credited with that credit and God sees that as beautiful. He's a perfect example in our human life. The sun would be a pattern for our glorified bodies. See Jesus rising from the dead. We see him appearing to his disciples after that. Some of them recognize him, some of them don't. But when they see him, remember the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, and they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us while he was speaking to us on the road? Yes, their hearts burnt. He's the glorified Christ. And they see him being taken up into glory. Remember John 17, when the Lord Jesus prayed for his disciples and he was saying, Father, I, I desire, I long for these people to see my glory, the glory that I had with you before the world began. And that's what they're seeing. Some, a little touch of that as Jesus is taken up into glory. And we're going to see that full glory when the Lord Jesus returns to that very same place in exactly the same way, descending out of heaven and putting his feet on the Mount of Olives and the mountain splits in half. Glory, glory, glory. Glorious God-man. And isn't it amazing that God has given all of that, the credit of that human life is given it to the individual who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's mine. I own that. Jesus is reigning in glory as me. He sits seated at the right hand of the Father as me in full glory. It's too much. Honestly, it's too much. We can't get this. And the Son would be the only one who can understand and feel for us in our failures because He's fully human. We think of Hebrews 4.15, this sympathetic high priest who can look at Mary. Imagine the experience of, I mean, we've talked about Mary's experience, but imagine the experience of the angel as God sends him to that young virgin. Can you imagine the angel saying, but God, she's, hey, this is going to freak you out, man. This is like, you know, what's going to, I'm going to, an angel from heaven, I'm going to come to her. And what if she dies? What if she just like falls over and drops dead because it's too much? And the angel comes, he's being as gentle, please, Mary, don't, shh, shh, shh. it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. This load of reality just settling upon this young girl and the angel knows all about it. And she has no clue what's about to come. And all of these glories we see in the mind of the angel as he speaks to her. His words are so full. I mean, he's probably saying, I wish I could tell you more, man. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but you can't handle it. It's too, you're too small and frail. And as, and as the Lord Jesus Christ lives this human life, imagine the God man understanding your and my struggles on a daily basis, just to get out of bed. Never mind to do something heroic with your life. Just get out of bed in the morning. 
or just, you know, try and stick to an exercise regime or, or a diet or something like that, you know, or whatever, you know, something you try and discipline yourself in. He understands that we, we failures, man, we losers, the whole bunch of us. And, and he knows what it's like to live in a fallen world and he's lived as me. Like God saying to me, I mean, I can see you're a loser, Alan. I can see you can't do this, so I'm going to come and do it for you. I'm going to come, you want a job done properly? Do it yourself. And that's what God has done in the gospel for me. And that's what the, April, the, the angel Gabriel is telling to Mary. Literally, God is coming to do this for you. I can see your weakness and, and God is coming to live this life for you, to give you a perfect life. Absolutely beautiful. And then the final thing is the son will be fully human forever and ever and ever. When I see God, I'm going to see a man. There's a man sitting at the pinnacle of glory. That beautific vision. When we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You know, what will be has not yet been made known. But when we see him, will we be like him? But imagine that moment when we see a man. And that man is God. And that God understands you. You know, when you look in the eye, I've preached a whole sermon on this one thing one time. But you look in the eye. And it's funny how the eye, I mean, it's an organ of the body. But you can read people by looking in their eyes, can't you? Some people, you can look in their eyes, but you have to look away because it feels their eyes are too powerful. Other people, when you look at them, you're trying to read their eyes because you think, is this person deceiving me or not? What do you do? You're looking in their eyes. Can I see the deception in your eye? But when you think about the eye, it's an organ. Inside the organ, there's a hole. And you look inside the hole, it ends up with a wall. And there's literally, there's nothing in there. I mean, you're just looking into a wall. But somehow you can read meaning. You can read what people are saying in the eye. Imagine when you've suffered a long time, long, long, long difficulty. And you suddenly come to somebody and he takes one look in your eye and you know he understands. I understand, man. I know what you've been through all of the years you've suffered in this world. Imagine in that moment, one look in that eye and you realize this is okay. Everything's going to be okay. If this man, if this God man understands me to this degree that nothing else matters for the rest of eternity. He's going to look in my eye. And he's going to understand me and I'm going to look in his eye and I'm going to understand him. That one moment when we see his face and all of this, all of this advantage that was in the mind of God and in the mind of the angel as he comes to Mary, this, this is going to be a blessing, Mary. I'm telling you, this is going to be good. And it is. It is good. It's turned out throughout the ages. It's glory, glory, glory for God's people and for Mary. So in the surprise moment, where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, we discover that we struggle to grasp and surrender to the fact that God has been vastly kind to us. God appears in the gospel to us and it's just too much. God proved his intentions to Mary, a virgin, were good in granting her that miraculous pregnancy. It was for her. That was the moment. The son was born. I mean, the son born was a thrilling blessing and advantage to Mary and to you and I by extension. The son born was fully human as well as fully divine. It is important that the son is fully human, as we've already said, 
because he is the true Christian's representative obedience. He is our substitute sacrifice. He is the mediator between God and men. He is the ruler over creation. He is our example in life. He is our pattern in glorification. He is our sympathetic high priest. And he is all of these forever. So you are called upon to worship and trust the Son with joy today because he is everything you need to live a well-adjusted life before God and men forever and ever. Lord, thank you for this wonderful moment that we can just look at the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the joy we have in our hearts as we see this moment where Gabriel comes to Mary and she had no clue what was about to happen to her before that moment opened. Even wondering about it after that moment, did this really happen? And then suddenly as she becomes pregnant, it all comes in on a, the reality of, of these words, the truthfulness, the trustworthiness of these words. And Lord, one thing we've seen today is that honestly, it's too much. We can't imagine, God, that you've given us so, 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 so much. And Mary couldn't believe that there was so much. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today to abandon ourselves to your mercy, to come to you and say, God, really, uh, I don't even see the depth of my deprav depravity, but you do. You know it, Lord. You, you know my heart. You know how driven I am to sin and failure. But Lord, in spite of that, you've granted me this wonderful blessing of, of being found at peace with you. Granted us this favor, high favor, and it's all through the advantage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship him today. Pray that you would help us, Lord, to live with great joy because these things are true. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep talking about them to other people. And I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to come soon and take us to be with yourself, that we can revel in the full advantage and joy that you've brought us into. We pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Wonderful to be with you.